Hello, and welcome to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, the Soul of Business, uh, what an interesting concept, uh, I think, and that's why I've started this, uh, this podcast. My guest today is somebody that I think can speak to this in some very interesting ways. Uh, Meredith Bell is the co-founder and president of Performance Support Systems, and she'll talk a little bit more about that. But the idea of bringing life to what the spirit or the soul of the business is in a tangible, fungible way is what her entire organization and literally what her entire life's work is about. So um, I'll kind of weave in a little bit more about her pedigree and her background as, as we're talking here. Um, but Meredith, I want to just welcome you to the show. I, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to have you here. I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time. Oh, me too, Blaine. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm really excited about what's going to come from this. You know, the idea, the, uh, you, you've got a couple of books out, you know, obviously. Uh, you know, one of them is Connect With Your Team, and the other one is Peer Coaching. But the idea of connecting is, is, is runs through everything. And in that connection, part of what, what I'm looking at and what I'm interested in is how do we keep constituencies, and I'll use that in the broadest sense of the word here, how do we keep constituencies connected to what I call the soul of the business? So that's a question I'm gonna you know, kind of jump into here after I ask you a preface question, which is when you hear the soul of business, what does that bring up for you? People. People to me are the heart and soul of a business because if you don't engage their entire beings into your enterprise, you are not gonna ever be able to operate at full capacity you won't achieve the things that could be possible if people, and I don't just mean the word engaged with their work. I'm, I'm talking about something, I guess, deeper and higher than that in terms of um, tapping into the best of each individual. And so that to me involves leadership that truly cares about people as individuals and seeks to elevate them so that they are feeling at the core of their being valued and appreciated by the people they work with, because that to me stimulates their desire to really give their best. It, it speaks to their hearts and minds. And I think this whole aspect of helping people bring their whole selves to work is a key aspect of the soul of the business because you can have the best product, you can have the best marketing, sales team, but if people aren't fully vested in and committed to the success of the organization, it's not able to achieve its full vision or mission. You know, that, that's an interesting way of, of thinking. Yeah, if they're not completely invested in the success and the soul and the heart of, of, of what the organization's about. How do you get that? And this kind of goes back to the original question. How do you get people to connect to that? And in a, in a, you know, I'm going to use a very specific word here in a meaningful way, such that resonance actually is there and that people can you know, step into that. Well, I think it requires leaders who already have 
a strong sense of their own worth, their own value. And so they're not threatened by other people. They, they look at others with a sense of, this may sound weird, but a sense of wonder, you know, who is this person in front of me and how can I tap into the very best they have to give? And that requires a certain level of, you could call it emotional intelligence, uh, maturity, awareness, you know, consciousness of, you know, who you are and who you want to be for them in order to bring out their best. And Mm -hmm. I just think that is so powerful. You can't dictate, you know, this old authoritarian way of telling people you're going to do it my way or get out. You know, that doesn't work. It's not what's required to draw out the best of people. It's really, um, and, and you know what a key part of this is, Blaine, is asking questions. So we don't assume that we know what causes this person to be excited and motivated about work compared to this person over here. We're all different. Different things make us enthusiastic and feel like we're really tapping into our superpowers. And so asking someone rather than assuming, you know, what is it that really excites you? What is it, if you could spend more time doing it here at work, would would cause you leaving at the end of the day energized instead of exhausted? Mm -hmm. You know, just coming up with questions that draw other people out so you learn more about them and what makes them tick. You know, as you're talking about that, um, you know, it's kind of the idea of, um, you know, well, Virginia Satir, I'll just kind of go back to uh, some of the work that she did. The way that she defined communication, which is essentially what you're talking about, you're talking about a very specific aspect of communication, which is listening, um, you know, deep listening. Uh, but, you know, Virginia uh, defined uh, communication as the best definition I've ever seen as simply the ways we work out common meaning with one another. Mm. And if we've got common meaning, we now have a basis from which to move forward. And if we're looking at that from a leadership perspective, co-creating coordinated movement, I, I, I need that platform to actually be able to, to execute from. So in, in, in your books, you know, connect with your team. I mean, all, you know, not only the books that you have you know, in the corporate environment, but also family systems. You've got, you know, you know stuff that you work with, you know, you and your partner, Denny, have uh, developed a lot of things for family systems as well. And I, and I make that, that point because an organization is an organization, whether it's a family or a system, and the effectiveness mm-hmm. comes down to communication, yeah, as far as I can tell. And that, that informs the quality of the relationships and not just the interpersonal, but the quality of the relationship that people have with the task at hand, with what they're doing, values, all of those sorts of things. So uh, with that long preamble, and I, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm taking more time talking here than I usually do, but I wanted to set the stage here because I want to hear from you. How do you go about getting people in an organization to number one, listen, and then number two, to communicate effectively, not just make noise when their mouths are open? <laughs> those are great questions. Uh, Well, for one thing, oftentimes people don't really understand what listening is. And so, you know, we hear the word listening and we think, oh, I don't know how to do that. 
you know, we all grew up having to listen to other people, but how, how do we really do that? And part of it is people think a lot of times it's just waiting for my turn to talk, or they think impactful listening means I have to sit there silently while the other person just goes on and on. And that's not it at all. And that's why listening is so challenging because it requires us when we do it well to set aside everything else. You know, we don't try to read an email while somebody's talking to us if we're on the phone because you miss some of the message. And it's not only getting rid of external distractions, it's getting rid of internal thoughts and distractions because we can miss what somebody is saying, even if we're looking right at them because our minds are somewhere else. So it's it's making a decision that this person in front of me at this moment is the most important person in my world right now. And I'm going to treat them like they are. And too often we just are so busy that we, we look annoyed or we get annoyed and we send the message, I'm busy, you know, hurry up, finish. And, and it just doesn't do what's really necessary to get the other person to open up and share with us. So asking questions, coming back to questions again, is a key part of being an effective listener because along the way, you wanna make sure you're getting the message that they're trying to send you. You wanna make sure you really understand it. So to say, now, wait a minute, it sounds like you're saying ABC, do I have that right? Just to check and not assume and let them finish And then you have interpreted something that's got you going in a totally different direction than they intended. You know, and this kind of dates me a little bit here, but I remember when Bill Clinton uh, was was president and um, and, and, I've met Hillary, um, I've spent some time in that in that world. And one of the things that is, is always struck me, uh, and this isn't a personal experience, it's one that's been related to me, is how when people were sitting with Bill and talking with him, they felt as if they were the only person in the universe. Um, mm-hmm. And where I'm going with that has to do with that. That's something that's learnable because what you're really doing is paying attention to how do people feel about themselves when they're in your presence. Mm-hmm. And if I'm paying attention to that, if I'm if I'm if I'm listening through that filter, then I pay attention to different things in, in terms of how I'm presencing. And I, I guess where I end up landing is that by a lot, yeah, um, um, communication ends up not being a logical construct, which is what most leaders approach it as. It's actually a biological construct. Communication is biological. It's not logical. And if you're tapping into that feeling structure, you're going to have people engaged with you. You're going to have people moving with you. And that's what the best leaders in the world are able to do is they tap into that biology, that feeling structure. And what you know, my, and there is a question embedded here for me. <laughs> um, and it has to do with uh, training and development in organizations, you know, which is one of the areas of your, you know, of your great expertise. The efficacy of training and development usually stops when people leave the training room. <laughs> They're going, mm-hmm. well, that was a nice program. That was interesting stuff. And then nothing happens right. after that. And something's not being listened for. And I mean, you know, I've got a whole program around that that I won't go into right now, but yeah, as do you. What's, what's going on there? Uh, why, why do organizations miss the mark? And I've got my own answer to that, but I absolutely know what I want to know what yours is on this. Sure. Well, here's the thing. The 
the data shows that hundreds of billions of dollars are spent globally every year on training and development. And, and experts estimate 70 to 90% of that is wasted. And yep. the reason for that is there is no follow-up. People attend, and even if it runs for a couple of weeks, that's not long enough because what's happening, you talk about biological, the brain is hardwired with the existing skills that we have. And especially as it relates to leadership skills, people have a way already of listening, of giving feedback, of dealing with conflict. They've got that hardwired in their brain. That's like their super highway. And so when you introduce a different way of doing it, it's like introducing a gravel road or a dirt road. And it is just hard initially because it's different. The old way is so comfortable. And so if there's no follow-up practice, coaching, support, feedback, if all of that's missing as the after effect of it, then they're going to easily revert back to what they knew before because that's their superhighway. So there has to be this opportunity for people to get the practice and get feedback from others about how they're doing and get support. And that's where the coaching comes in. And that's why we wrote the peer coaching book, because you can't bring in an executive, executive coach for every employee, but right. it, it's the kind of thing where people can learn to coach each other without getting certified in order to be a good support. That's why these 12-step programs and you know Weight Watchers, these programs that have group support or a, uh, a sponsor are so effective because you're not out there on your own by yourself trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah I, I love this <laughs> for a whole lot of reasons. You and I are so on the same page around so much of this. Um, you know, what we're talking about is a mindset shift. I mean, it, because mm -hmm. mindsets become hardwired and the way that mindset gets shifted over, yeah, over time is literally over time. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, rep repetition that begins to carve you know, new neural pathways that then can become reinforced. It's not a one and done deal, as far as I can tell. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, great trauma can go ahead and shift that, but I don't encourage anybody to go seeking great trauma uh, as, as right. a mechanism to... Uh, shift of mindset. Um, you know, years well, back in the late 90s, uh, yeah, mid to late 90s, I started doing a lot of work with Nokia, the, the, the uh, telecom company, and, and did a whole leadership development program, led that for them for about 12 years you know, internationally. It was one of their global uh, programs. And about, you know, that, that program ran almost 11 years. And five years into it, we introduced a coaching program specifically for what you're speaking about. I was noticing that people would walk out the door going, God, this is one of the greatest programs we've ever done. And then nothing tangible shifted. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't okay because impact is really important. If I'm going to do something, I want to make sure that there's something that's being, yeah, being, right. being done as a consequence of that. So we were one of the first people, I think, in the, and this is back in the uh, late 90s, to introduce a, a, a large group coaching concept as an adjunct to a training platform, mm. to a training intervention. Results went off the chart, uh, and we tracked it over about a six-month period uh, with, you know, in conjunction with this coaching uh, program, and we had some very specific metrics. But the efficacy of the, the leadership training 
led me to, you know, you know, went up dramatically. And where I, where I landed was you learn about leadership in a classroom, but you actually learn leadership when you've got somebody in harness with you that can in situ in your own environment, help you integrate that new learning in a way that you can now translate it from knowledge to action. You know, absolutely knowing to do it. Yes. And, and you know, Blaine, we have a three-step process that we call focus, action, reflection that ties in with that. This idea of you focus on one thing. High achievers often want to tackle lots of different changes at once, and that's not the way to do it. So you focus on one thing, you learn the right way to do it, you take action. And then this is the part a lot of people miss because they're in such a hurry and moving from one thing to another is to slow down and reflect on how that experience went when you did apply this skill. So asking questions like what happened and why did it happen that way? What were you thinking? What was your motivation? What were the consequences? Did you get the outcome you hoped for? And then, okay, based on this analysis, what are you gonna do differently next time? And this can serve for both a positive experience as well as something that didn't go the way you hoped it would. But this learning and, and analysis is part of rewiring the brain and it accelerates that whole learning process. That reflection time, and we're gonna take a real quick break right now here. And, 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 and as, as a listener uh, to this program, I want those of you that are listening right now to just take a breath you know, as I do this little pause here, but I want you to just reflect on what we've been talking about and where have you, you know, been hurrying? It, it's, it's not ready fire aim, it's fire ready aim for many people. And I want us to, you know, when we come back, talk about a little bit about how we move from fire ready aim to ready aim fire. And just kind of slow the process down. So we'll be right back with Meredith Bell. This is a great conversation. Stay tuned and we'll see you in just a little bit. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com. And on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52 week long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business? That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the leadership mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Welcome back. Blaine Bartlett here. You're listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. My guest today, Meredith Bell. Um, when we took our break, we had just opened the Pandora's box here. Uh, and I say Pandora's box because people tend to, particularly high-powered leaders, high performers, they 
they're, they're afraid of what happens if I slow down, you know, the Pandora's box, you know, sort of a thing here. What am I going to unleash if I slow down? Or what won't I have control over if I slow down? What do we want to slow down for? If we don't slow down and take time to think about what happened and extract the lessons from that situation, then we risk making the same mistake repeatedly in the future. Whereas if we take the time to look at it and analyze it, we can now make a conscious choice about how we want to approach the next situation as opposed to finding ourselves in that situation again and finding ourselves reacting the way we always have, we've actually learned from it. And so we've got that conscious awareness that we have a different choice we had decided to make. And it's even more powerful if you write it down. So you don't have to necessarily keep a journal, but if you, um, you know, write the answers to these questions then that is another way of in increasing the speed with which you wire yourself for doing it that way. Yeah. Now, you know, you and Denny have worked, uh, and, I, and, I, and I keep saying Denny, it's actually Dennis. Um, um, oh, God, my brain just went dead here. Oh, uh, Coates, but he goes Coates, by yeah. Denny. Yeah. Denny, yeah, it's, Dennis it's Coates. okay, yeah. Denny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the two of you have done some pretty interesting work with some fairly large organizations. And in bringing these concepts into uh, into these organizations, can can you cite an example for a listener that's pragmatic about how you got somebody to slow down and what the consequence of that was? Yeah, in real time. Well, I can give you a personal example within our own company because oh, Denny and Paula, our other partner, and I have worked together now as three equal partners in our business for thirty years. Oh my! Gosh. And so, um, one of the things that we realized Denny came from a military background and he was, you know, moving fast and uh, at times would interrupt us when we weren't finished or finish our sentence when that wasn't what we were going to say. And this was a, a problem for us. So we decided to address it with him from the perspective of supporting him. And I think this is a key thing. If a leader is trying to change behavior, it's so important to, um, bring in other people to support that behavior change so that you get them because they they know this is a problem for you. Trust me, you know, it might be a blind spot for you, but they've known about it. And if they hear you're finally going to do something about it, they want to support that. And so this whole thing of slowing down relates to when someone is in a situation where they are performing that behavior poorly, how can you support them in the moment? And so what we did is we came up with a couple of things. One, if we were in an in-person meeting, we just held our hand up like a stop sign. Uh -huh. So it was a visual cue for him. Oops, I need to you know, back off. Um, the other thing was simply to say, I wasn't done yet. You know, and not with sarcasm, not with you know, some kind of cutting edge in your voice, but and, and to tell you the truth, Blaine, when the three of us get in conversations, we're in different offices in different states, we will still to this day, you know, get excited about something and somebody will start to interrupt and, and we just say it wasn't done yet. And we immediately, you know, use that as a way to back off. So it's coming up with things that are supportive of the other person. And I think we just need to not be afraid to ask for support and for help. 
that's such a critical thing because leaders, in fact, I was just talking to someone earlier today who felt like he couldn't let his guard down because he's got this image to portray that I've got it all together. When in fact, people relate to you so much more effectively if they know you own quickly when you've made a mistake and apologize for it or try to you know make amends instead of acting like you were right. <laughs> it just doesn't yeah. sit well because people know better. Yeah, they, they do know better. And you know, the, the whole notion of being right. And this is one of the things that I've noticed in organizations is that the need to be right will drive just about all of the behavior in some way, shape or form. And getting people to back up from that need to be right can be one of the most critical things to do in an organization. And that's my dog seeing uh, a deer out on the, in the yard there. I don't know if you heard her barking. <laughs> but th this idea of divorcing people from their, their need to be right, how do you go about making that happen? You know, and that's, this is something that I've, you know, in my coaching work, you know, we bring up all of the time. Yeah, how do you get people to back away from that need to be right so that they can actually open possibilities? Oh, I love that. Happens? I love that. And you know, it all goes back to asking questions. You know, if somebody is describing a situation where they had a, you know, a run-in with someone else and you're sensing that, that that's what it came from is their need to be right to simply say, so what is that costing you? You know, what, what's the price you're paying in your relationship with other, this other person when you're feeling that you have to be right, as opposed to coming up with, you know, being open to saying, that's a really good idea, you know, or, or acknowledging that because it goes back to your very first question about the soul of the business. If people are feeling like this leader always has to be right. And we have to always watch what we say and do because we need to, you know, make sure not to upset this person and make them feel threatened. That, that erodes the soul of the business. People then start walking on eggshells and that's when you're going to see the exodus because you're not creating an environment where people feel safe being open and honest. Yeah. And the, uh, the erosion of trust and all of that that begins to occur, you know, Robert Caldini's model, uh, you know, the dysfunctions of a team, the foundation is mm -hmm. trust. If you don't have trust, I don't care what you stack on top of it. That's a house of cards and effective communication, working out common meaning. I'll go back to Satir's definition here. Yeah, working out common meaning is how this seems to occur. Uh, I love what you guys are up to. Um, I, I, I truly do. Uh, where can people find out more about your work, your and Denny's work, your and your organization's work, Meredith? Our website is growstrongleaders.com. And on that homepage, we have a video that describes how these two books can be worked together and used to work together. And then we also have a link for our products. We have a 360 degree feedback and survey tool and an online coaching and development tool that they can visit. And I have my own Strong for Performance podcast there too, so they can learn more about that. Great. I love that. Now, before we go out of, uh, out, out of the door here, uh, yeah, I, I let off with a question, of, you know, the soul of business, what does it mean, you know, mean to you? You've been doing this work for a number of years and very effectively. I mean, this is, you know, it's not just a passion. It really is a cause as far as I can tell in my conversations with you. Uh, and 
and folks, you, you didn't have uh, access to our, our pre-show conversation, but uh, Meredith, and I, Meredith and I were both talking about not retiring. You know, it's kind of like, why would we, why would we retire? I love what I do so much. I can't, I can't imagine not doing it. So the, the question that that kind of evokes for me, for you is, how are you leaving it better than you found it? Whatever it is. Yes. Well, it me for us is the workplace and families, helping them to relieve some of the pain and suffering that's associated with relationships, where people say things that erode the relationship instead of building it up. So we are just, I guess, as passionate as we, maybe even more so, because we've written these books now too. So we have other ways of helping people learn better ways to connect with each other. And so that to me is, is huge. And I am just driven by that desire to make a difference in workplaces and at homes so people can experience the real joy and happiness that's available to them when they know how to really listen, you know, give feedback, support each other, encourage each other in ways that are healthy and uplifting to others. I love that. My guest today, Meredith Bell, you can find out more, as she just mentioned, at growstrongleaders.com. Um, check it out, folks. I mean, they, their work is, is phenomenal. And if you're looking for a, a very uh, implementable way to improve and enhance the communication in your organization, whether it's a family system or whether it's your business, this is a resource you will not want to miss taking advantage of. They just do some phenomenal work, truly. Meredith, thank you very much for being here. Oh, thank guest. you, Blaine. It's been such a pleasure to be with you. You as well. Uh, you're listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. You can find out more about what I'm up to at blainebartlett.com. Um, I've got resources there that you can take advantage of, obviously. And as you heard um, in the mid-broadcast, we've got a mastermind program that I would encourage you to take a look at as well. So I'm not going to belabor that point, but do check it out. And until next time, take care. Have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.